Renee Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. My colleague and friend, Reverend A.R. Bernard, was called away uh, and will not be on this interview with the esteemed Deborah Lauda, who is the executive director of the Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes. And I've come to know and admire Deborah uh, during the years that uh, she's been in this position and also for her great work uh, at ADL Anti-Defamation League. So, Deborah, welcome to the Rev and the Rabbi. Thank you so much, Rabbi. I'm delighted to be able to join you today. All right. So let's first talk about the office, what it does, why was it created. Give us a little background. Sure. So um, the Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes was launched by Mayor de Blasio in September 2019. So we actually just turned 18 months old. Um, It was created by city council in response to the very troubling increase in anti-Semitic incidents that were happening throughout 2018 and into 2019. And the city felt that you know, it's important to condemn the incidents, but they wanted to do something more, something that would really take a long-term look at what's going on and how to prevent hate violence. So my office is actually embedded in the mayor's office of criminal justice. Uh, we have a staff of seven uh, very diverse, fantastic professionals with a lot of different backgrounds. And Our role is uh, to really, with intentionality, um, look at how we can prevent and respond to hate violence. So um, some of the things we've been doing over the past 18 months, we've identified all the different city agencies that we see as stakeholders in this work. Um, There's actually, we're now convening 18 of them. Uh, It's every agency that you would assume you know would be at the table such as NYPD Department of Education uh, Department of Health and Mental Hygiene New York Thrive but also others like the Taxi Commission and Parks Um, so all of these agencies had been doing excellent work prior to um, my office being launched but kind of in their silos you know we're we're able to bridge the gap um I should mention the City Commission on Human Rights and the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs, too, have been key, key players with us. So um, in addition to the agencies, we also convened with them the five uh, district attorney offices in New York. Um, They all have hate crime units now, so we're able to work real closely with them. So, Deborah, talk about trajectory. Are Are we getting, is it getting worse? Is it getting better? I mean, when you compare this year to last year, because whenever I pick up a paper, I'm always reading about, you know, the some perpetrator uh, committing an act of hatred or prejudice against someone in the city. Yeah. So it's an excellent question. We actually are about to um, uh, release our annual report for 2020, kind of showing what's been going on. You know, as I said, in in the year that we were created, it was because there was a huge escalation of hate crimes. Crimes generally in New York have been going down except for that one area. Um, so, you know, I can I can tell you in, in 2019, um, there had been 446 hate crime complaints reported. 
Um, in 2020, so comparing to the, what happened last year, we had a huge decrease, uh, decreased by 37%. So it went down to 282. Now, what's important to remember is, is a number of things. One, obviously, COVID hit, right? There, um, we, and many people were quarantining. There just weren't uh, as many, many people interacting, uh, whether it be on the streets or in subways. Um, but the other factor is when we talk about these numbers, um, they are the reported numbers, right? There, there is a huge um, number that are never reported mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. People either you know, may not have trust relationship with law enforcement. Um, they don't feel their complaint would be taken seriously. Um, some in the um, immigrant community, feel, you know, are worried they could be deported, which is absolutely not true. They're never asked about uh, immigration status. Um, some for privacy reasons, you know, in the LGBT yeah. community, great advances, um, but there are many who don't want their sexual identity or orientation or gender identity revealed even though, again, privacy is always protected. So the numbers we talk about, they're important to, to look at the stats, but we our office has to look what's behind some of those stats, too. Yeah. You know, Deborah, I had an interesting conversation this past week with Eric Gonzalez, who is the district attorney in Kings County, and has done some good work uh, in terms of he has a hate crimes task force. And I asked him about perpetrators who have been apprehended, going through a certain kind of uh, educational process. And I said, of the number of people who have gone through, how many have repeated, uh, you know, the act of hatred? He said, none. He said, we're very proud of the fact that once we put them through a rigorous program, indoctrinating them with what is right and what is wrong, which obviously they haven't learned until that point, um, it, it has an impact you know, of course, yep. you know, we do it after the fact and we have to ask ourselves, so what more can we do to be proactive than reactive? But there is something to be said about people doing this and then recognizing that I never should have done this. Uh, and I and I think that's something that gives us a little bit of uh, insight into uh, some of the remedial steps that need to be taken. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And, and the Brooklyn DA's office um, has done some uh, terrific work in this area. Um, the, the agencies that I mentioned were convening, we've actually been working in specific focus groups on different issues, um, such as education, community safety, victim support. But one of them is on restorative justice and looking at models that would be particularly helpful for hate crime perpetrators. And I often look to and cite the, uh, the Brooklyn DA's office because you know, a couple summers ago, they, there were some teenagers that were apprehended who were doing swastikas. Um, and it created, a, you know, obviously a lot of fear in the communities and whatnot. And what the, what the DA's office did was they, they brought these teens over to the uh, Jewish Heritage Museum mm-hmm. to understand what the swastika was, is and why it causes uh, so much fear in communities. They had no real context for it. They knew they were doing something wrong, um, but they didn't really understand yeah. the consequences so, of their actions. So, so you know, the, those kinds of programs. Um, similarly, the you know we we worked with the um, OCA New York, um, an Asian Pacific advocate, and. They worked with some uh, teenagers 
who had attacked an elderly Asian woman on a bus in the Bronx. And again, they involve them in a um, hate crime prevention art project that they do. And it had enormous positive impact on those teens. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm heartened that there is a real desire yeah. to look at non um, you know, carceral responses to hate violence. So, Deborah, one of the things that troubles me in all of this is that when you have a teenager putting a swastika on a house of Jewish house of worship and saying, I didn't know that this was a hate symbol, and yet that same person somehow knows enough to put a swastika. The person is now putting a picture of a rose, you know. Uh, right. So there's, there's recognition on some level that I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing because why am I doing it with a swastika? And the other thing is when you attack someone on a bus, instinctually you should know that's wrong. You, you shouldn't have to be taught that attacking someone on a bus is not where you should be going. Right. So how right. do you address so there, those, those Yeah, concerns? so I mean, that's, that's one of the keys is education. No, no one's born hating, right? Hate is learned, and we believe that hate can be unlearned. Um, you know, giving kids skills to stand up to hate, to respect themselves so that they also have the ability to respect others. Um, listen, at one point, I uh, went into one of the Brooklyn high schools with the um, Department of Education chancellor and the first lady um, to talk about what they were you know, experiencing in their neighborhoods and to talk about anti-Semitism. And, you know, we went around in these in little groups and I sat with four, uh, four of the teens and, they, you know, they shared their experiences of what, you know, some of, you know, most of them were... Um, or African-American and Latinx. And, and I said, listen, you know, you guys are so good. We, you know, you're teaching us, you know, math and science and English, but we really need more help learning respect techniques. And I was like, oh, fabulous. She gets it, you know. And then another kid raises his hand and goes, yeah, you know what? That's all fine and good, but you don't know what, what we hear when we go home. What are you doing about teaching our parents? Wow. So, yeah. um there's a lot of work to be done, yeah. but, but education, we believe, is, is one of the keys, you know, particularly in, in impacting and preventing hate early on. Deborah, we're going to take a break right now. I want to come back and follow up on uh, the kind of education they're going to be receiving. We're talking with Deborah Lauda, who's the executive director of the Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes. We'll be back with more of The Rev and The Rabbi. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. Reverend A.R. Bernard is not with us for this interview. He's called away. He'll be returning shortly, I hope. Uh, we're talking with Deborah Lauder, Executive Director, Office for the Prevention of Hate Crimes. Deborah, education obviously is a prerequisite in developing character. But it's the kind of education that matters so greatly. You know, we've seen throughout history people who have degrees who are indecent. You know, people who went through an educational program and are monsters, are hate mongers. So can you talk about some of the particulars of the education in molding the kind of person who recognizes I shouldn't even be thinking about doing something like this? Yeah, I mean, clearly, uh, empathy skills are, are critically important. You have, you know, putting putting themselves in the shoes of others, but it's also 
I think, Rabbi, just understanding other people and more talking about what the pains are and, uh, in their histories and, um, you know, having them tell their stories and share um, what they experience. Kids really want this. Um, we, we hear it repeatedly that they welcome these kinds of opportunities. I would tell you, too, and, and I think we've all been uh, awakened to the um, the impact of false news. Um, kids need now, there needs to be much more emphasis on kids um, having analytic skills to figure out what's true and not true on the Internet um, and to be able to parse. So, I, you know, I think... That's going to be one of the challenges for educators going forward as well um, to break down um, some of the things they're hearing, whether it's stereotypes or, you know, just so so much is out there for kids to be exposed to, but they need the, the critical analytic skills along with the empathy skills. Yeah, and also you mentioned the home. What happens in the home? What happens, you know, amongst the circle of friends? What are they looking uh, at when they go on, on the Internet and very often mm-hmm. you find parents are not, you know, involved in that experience. And kids are far more advanced many times uh, than parents in navigating uh, the Internet. So, you know, it's like you need this kind of education for the parents as well, for families, for, for everyone. Because uh, right. if you just teach it to one and they go home and, you know, an opposite message is conveyed, then, you know, you, you're, you're going uphill in a losing battle. Right, right. So we, our office um, has actually been working on a hate crime curriculum that, you know, will have a, a number of different elements, but one of them will be an interactive exercise to get kids, kids engaged with how do you have those conversations with your family? You know, instead of them going home saying, you know, you're a bigot, I learned that you're a bigot, you know, that they can actually sit and have a, a healthy conversation within their family unit about um you know, how to confront and, and be more respectful rather than, you know, of others. So we're, we're real excited about that. We're, we're hoping to roll it out for next the next academic year. One of the things that uh, to me is a very positive development is you and I and Cardinal Dolan and Reverend A.R. Bernard, the Commissioner of Religious Leaders, uh, are planning a program that will address the anti-Asian prejudice. And we're going to have members of, you know, the uh, you know, the Asian Pacific community come on and talk about, you know, what they've encountered. Um, because the, the truth is so many of us live in our own, you know, separate enclaves that we don't really get to know the other. Uh, and I've often felt, you know, that inscription above houses of worship, love your neighbor. Well, it's hard to love your neighbor if you don't really know who your neighbor is, and not necessarily the person next door, but, you know, out there. Uh, and you got to learn about the person. you got to listen to the person. So talk about the anti-Asian, uh, you know, pre- prejudice that we've witnessed, which seems to be increasing of late. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I started at the beginning of the show talking about the uh, decrease in 2020 of uh, hate crimes that we were so gratified to see, um, it was the exception was in anti-Asian hate crime complaints. Um, just to give you a comparison, in 2019, there was only one. Uh, anti-Asian hate crime. In 2020, it went up to 30. And uh, 16 of those 30 were actually violent incidents. You know, they involved assaults and whatnot. Um, now, when I'm talking about hate crimes, it's really important to understand 
for it to be deemed as a hate crime by NYPD and a DA's office, there has to be an underlying actual crime, such as assault. Um, what we're seeing, a huge, you know, while somebody might say, oh, 30 incidents isn't that much, but what we're seeing is a huge increase in reports of um, discriminatory harassment. Um, sort of the, the things like name-calling, somebody yelling at an Asian person, a racial epithet, or something offensive about COVID-19. You, you know, you, you came to this country and you're spreading it. You know, just really horrible, unfounded um, uh, things being done. So those, those numbers also dramatically increased um, last year. And you know, I will tell you, I've been I've been spending a lot of time with leaders in the um, Asian Pacific, Asian American Pacific Islander community, um, and there is just a lot of fear. Um, and you you know, you mentioned seeing things in the paper, many incidents. They are getting um, you know higher profile, but we are we are doing what we can to support the community and try to tamp down on these uh, horrible uh, incidents. And you know, one of the things that. Uh, you've impressed upon all of us is, for example, anti-Semitism is not just a Jewish problem. You know, and I would extend that, you know, the anti-Asian prejudice is not just an Asian problem. You know, if because the person who hates me today is going to hate you tomorrow. And and we've seen that. What I find so astounding, I'm a child of survivors. You have, I think, a similar background. Here we are years after slavery, the Holocaust, all kinds of, you know, conflicts and yet we're talking about hate crimes. You know, you would think that we would reach a point in our history where this would be something of the past, not of the present. Uh, you know, I, I know it, it's not, you know, it's not easy to get shocked anymore, but I'm still shocked um, yeah. that this is taking place. We we shouldn't be having these painful conversations, and yet we have to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I've been doing this work for several decades, and, you know, there's... I'm an optimist. I think we've made a lot of advances, um, but it, it's, you know, everyone has to be involved in doing this. It, it can't be just government doing it. It can't be just faith leaders. We really have to take a holistic approach. Everyone has to be part of it. So yeah, I think you're right that, you know, you, you would think at this point in our history we're over it, but it just takes constant work. Um, so, you know, I'm thrilled that you, know, you all are putting together this interfaith um, discussion because you're absolutely right. I think, you know, New York City prides itself as being um, the most diverse city on earth, but I, I do think we have a, a long way to go in terms of, of really getting to know um, the the other, the, your neighbor, in a in a in, you know not that superficial way, but understanding and, and standing up for others. So we're delighted that you're you're doing this work, and um, you know look forward to advancing it. It's great. Yeah, I uh, I was I participated in testimony, offering testimony uh, before some members of the city council for legislation. And it seems like a no-brainer. Uh, I think it's resolution one two eight seven about teaching religious diversity uh, mm-hmm. in the schools. That you know kids have to know early on that. You know, we are different, and, 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 and even though we're different, we're the same. We're all part of that human family. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's critical uh, that we get in there as soon as possible. And um, I know there are those who are saying, well, now we're going to teach religion in the schools, and that's not what this is about. This is not about, you know, violating the Establishment Clause. It's about teaching 
about. <laughs> you know, not right. not asking people to to uh, select a particular faith, but but rather to select a uh, a code of values that sees everybody uh, included in that circle and stop excluding people. So you know, we yeah. there are a number of steps. No, you're, that you're, have, you're, you're you're absolutely right. My my background actually is uh, an attorney who did a lot of work in in uh, First Amendment church state separation issues. And there was always that misunderstanding of like, we can't we can't teach religion in the schools, but you can certainly, as you said, teach about religion, and um, that's critically important, I think, in this in this day and age. And people feel, you know, I mean, I've talked to so many who, once they've been exposed to these other religions, um, whether it's in school or doing, you know, uh, exchanges between, you know, uh, churches and mosques and synagogues. Um, that it actually uh, enhances their own religion. They they t- take more pride and they understand the concepts better. So, yeah, I think that's one area where faith leaders in particular can really um, have an important role in New York City in promoting those kinds of uh, interfaith relationships, not just at the clergy level, but down right. into the grassroots. You know, yeah. I've often said we're very privileged in New York uh, that we have a closeness uh, with one another you know, members of different faith groups. So when there is, God forbid, an attack uh, on a house of worship, when a member of the clergy is attacked or a member of the community uh, because of uh, that person, you know, has a different belief or orientation, we're, we're there for each other. Uh, I know that we're going to stand together, and that's very reassuring. Uh, you know, go back in history, and we were, we were out there alone. Uh, uh, yep. It was, you know, us against them, and now the us, thank God, uh, has been enlarged. And I just want to say thank you to you because I've been uh, privileged to know you for some time and we participated in many programs. Uh, and I think the city of New York is fortunate to have you in the position that you occupy because you understand the problems and how to address the problems. So we talk about cancel culture. Deborah, you gotta, we gotta cancel that hatred. That, that should be, <laughs> that should that. be the priority. Yeah. Cancel hatred. And we couldn't right. have a more effective person as, uh, leading us than Deborah Lauda. Office for the Prevention of Hate Crime. So one day, Deborah, we hope that you're out of work, right? There'll Thank no, you. Right? No, um, you, know. <laughs> you know, no more hate I, crimes. I, I and, you know, you'll, no, no more hate crimes. No more I, hate, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll find something else. Thanks so much. Thanks for being on The Rev and the Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. I appreciate the opportunity. We'll be Take back care. with more of the program.